Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chels. Well, here we are again. It's me, and Mr. Andrew Saunders, are you on the line, Andy? I'm on the line. You're on the line, Andy. I've got a surprise for you. We've got a third person on tonight. We think we can handle it. We think we can handle him. It's only Mr. Gary Hayes. Hello. Why do you think that's a surprise? I knew he was coming on. Oh, did you? I didn't know you knew he was coming on. I asked you. I said, who's coming on? Then you oh, said, you really Hayes. know how to spoil a It's a shame that um, as we're doing this over Skype, we're not using video, because I could have done my best Leslie Grant for me impression, couldn't I? But there you go. Yeah. Look, it's literally the worst surprise ever and a terrible start to the show. <laughs> anything better? Well, that's because you ruined it just for a change. You had to just not play along. That's what you do. You're not a team player like that, Andy. We should have surprised everyone because Gary, let's face it, he's, he's a, an unknown quantity these days. We don't see him doing too much journalism and you're not on Twitter as much either, are you, Gary? I don't care about football anymore. <laughs> do you okay, know? Good start. That's a great start for a football podcast. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? I thought it was something different. No. So why do you care about football anymore, Gary? Come on, tell us about this 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 loss of your faith. I do really, but I just don't care about posting rubbish on social media about it anymore. It's pointless. Right. I don't disagree with that, to be honest. I mean, I'm slightly addicted to it's, it. It's, it's, there's no point in having a, a conversation with people because you like to try to debate and all that happens is you either get called a Ramona or a Brexiteer or something like that and it all just collapses and there's no point really is there mm. it's just it's just frustrating because and, and on social media it's only the morons who get listened to you know i don't know why people make news stories out of idiots on on social media anymore it's been going on for years at first it was interesting and now it's like really he's got some twat in his bedroom somewhere just get out stop being an incel 
<laughs> I think um, I think it has its upsides. I think it's a really good news forum. I think it's a really good place to, to debate if you do it properly. But you're right. I mean, it has become a cesspit of um, angry people. And I, I find it – I had a week or so away from it earlier in the year, and it was – it was very good. I may do it again. I, you know, I don't. I find it good for my mental health when I have a break from Twitter. I know we'll probably get onto it, but it's just, you know, these these stuff that they're doing. Like we'll start talking about Aspilicueta, I'm sure, at some point. But the stuff where you've got these morons that they're trying to start this campaign, where they're like, every time Jody Morris does a tweet, everyone responds to him with this picture, and it's a picture of Aspi with a big red X across his face, and then Reese James with a big green tick. And they're just following like the players round and sending it to them and doing it to their wives and girlfriends and their siblings. And I'm just like, you for real? Like, get a life. Yeah. Losers. These are sad, unremarkable people tapping out bile on a Tesco laptop. Yeah. These these are not people to be listened to, Gary, or taken seriously. No, no, it's not. But it's it's just draining when you see it. And it's, it's almost like, you know, they started, they'll have a campaign against one player. And then when that campaign stops, it's almost like they need another reason to live. So they want to create a campaign against another. You know, last season it was Gary Cahill. This season it's Azpilicueta. A few seasons ago it was Ivanovic for Azpilicueta. And now it's Azpilicueta for Reese James. And, you know, and then, you know, everyone's like, oh, Tammy should be the striker. And he misses a penalty in a meaningless game. And suddenly he's public, in it, public enemy number one now. Let's all have an t- attack at him and throw racism his way. It's just... Boring. Pogba got it last night as well. What do you? Yeah, think, it's just ridiculous. What do you think, Kerry, about social media and whether social media has upped the toxicity within the stadium? Uh, I think I think it has. I think it's galvanised people who have very narrow, bigoted opinions. It's it's galvanised them to feel as though they've got a voice that people care about. Um, what everyone seems to forget about Twitter is. It is meant to be a communicative device, but it's not really for me to hear other people's opinions about stuff if I don't respect their opinions. So people just shouting all over Twitter. I, I use it far less than ever. I'm, fi- I'm finding it so painful to trawl through the, these sort of toxic remarks. And toxic has become such a byword for football fan in the last few years. It's, it's really depressing. Mm. But I, I agree with you. I, I think... Something happens on Twitter that that gives them a strength to come out with stuff. These people, three or four years ago, would not have come out with these views. And you can imagine that these people, if they saw the people in real life, they may actually go up and share that opinion with them now. Uh, And, okay, look, it's a social problem as well. It reflects on the times we're in with everything going on with Brexit. Whichever way you look at it, whichever way you vote, it's kind of irrelevant. There is definitely something going on that is is not anything other than detrimental to, to our social mental health. And I'd say that social media is actually completely unsocial in so many ways. That All the great things you get out of it can just be ruined by people coming out with these remarks and statements as if, you know, it's like all yeah. of them fighting for Reese James at the moment. Well, how many of them have actually even ever seen him play? But he's become the buzzword, as Gary and I were talking about the weekend, because they've been told he's a great young player. So suddenly now he's got to come in, in uh, over Asby, who's well, not having the greatest time. But the ones, we'll, we'll the, ones that, that. 
the one today was uh, was Mishi Bashwai, wasn't it? Who scored? <laughs> I was going to say that scored in, a, in an under 19s uh, game uh, last night. Scored a good goal by all accounts, but now apparently he he needs to be given a chance because he's the second coming. And people forget that he's already had 32 games for Chelsea. You know, scored a few goals, scored a few important goals, scored a few lovely goals. Um, but he's had a chance. It's not a case of giving players chances. You you know how I feel about this concept of of giving players chances. If you're good enough, you're good enough and frankly I think we should probably give if we're going to give anybody a chance probably give Tammy a chance but again we'll come on to that let's talk about some some positive stuff Kerry let's talk about the game okay well let's well let's go back first to the Liverpool game last week um meaningless friendly some would say but UEFA deemed it important enough to uh, allow it to have extra time in built into it which I think was uh, you asked Liverpool and Chelsea after that game, they probably both wished that that had never happened. Um, but it was an enthralling game. It was entertaining. And both teams contributed to quite a spectacle. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, I really enjoyed the game, I have to say. You know, the, I think ultimately the result was was meaningless. I said, I think, on last week's podcast that, you know, if we lost, it was a meaningless friendly uh, and if we won, a major European trophy. But, look, you know, it was a really interesting game. I think we got lots of positives out of it. Um, the penalties, you know, it's a cliche, but it's a lottery. If we'd have won, great. If we didn't win, you know, I was over it by the next day. You know, I just thought there was a lot to enjoy about the game and a lot to enjoy about the performance. Yeah, I mean, what did you think, Gary? Um, we started getting more of a sign of what Frank wanted from his side. He got Kante in. That made a difference. Although what's interesting is he played the midfield in the same kind of way that Sarri played. And we all thought that would be different. How did you view all of that, Gary? Well, I think the midfield, it's not really the same, is it? Because it, you know, when, when the season started, everyone expected this 4-2-3-1, which was sort of the, the system that killed off Jose and then Lampard bringing it back. But I was thinking, hmm... But then it's obviously different personnel. But it is actually a four-one-four-one, isn't it? Where you've yeah. got obviously in in Istanbul it was Kovacic and, and Kante, and then on Saturday against Leicester it was um, Mount and Kante in, in those middle two with Jorginho behind them and the wide men. But I, I, I like the shape of the team, and I just thought overall on, on you know that the, the night against Liverpool that Pulisic was just really impressive. And again, just to feed into the social media hysteria, I just made the joke about if we were going to get carried away by the fact that we lost the way we did to United, then, well, we need to get carried away with Pulisic then because he was incredible against Liverpool. And I think that really showed that when he plays against a team that's trying to compress that midfield area, he's got the ability to really get in behind you know defenders and cause a lot of problems. We didn't see it against Leicester, but against Liverpool because of the way they wanted to play because they were trying to win the game, whereas Leicester were... They looked like they were happy with a draw. He was able to get in behind and you know, cause some havoc. And it's a shame that um, if his left nipple hadn't been offside, he would have scored an amazing goal. Yeah, I mean, he he does look... Uh, some players you see immediately and you go, he's got something about him. I mean, what did you think about him, Andy? Did you find yourself excited by the way he played? Yeah, he's no Eden Hazard, but he's... Um... You know, he's a very, very good player. He's young. He's he's dynamic. As you say, he's got a little bit about him. You know, it, he played very, very well in that game. He didn't play very well against Leicester. You know, I think we've got to give him a little bit of time to, to bed in, to understand the Premier League, to understand the level that he's playing at. 
um, and whether we can see him do it on a consistent basis. That's the key. I mean, it's all very well turning it on on a, you know, on a big night and, and having a good game. Can you do it against Leicester, against Brighton, you know, against these teams when, when we really need you to, you know, to, to, to deliver a little bit of magic? I'm confident that he can. I'm confident that he's a really good player. I think we don't need to, you know, we need to be careful about not loading him with expectation. He isn't at the level of Eden Hazard. He isn't maybe at the level of, of you know, of some of our other um, uh, more experienced players. But he's an exciting young talent and I'm interested to see how he progresses. Just on that Hazard comparison, <laughs> I think that, yeah, it's not on Hazard's level now, but Hazard's a player that is you know, 28, 29 in his prime years. And when Chelsea signed Hazard at a very similar age to Pulisic, I think Pulisic is on the same level as what Hazard was when we signed him from Lille. I think, and you look at that game against Liverpool, which was his full debut, and I think it was a little bit similar in terms of <coughs> performance to what Hazard had against Wigan in that, you know, that, that the opening day of the 2012-13 season and Hazard, you know, caused them all sorts of problems and won the penalty that, that Lampard scored from and Pulisic got the assist for Giroud. I just like the way that he's, you know, the way that he plays, he's happy to, to hug the touchline and cut inside when he has to, but... Also, as well, with Hazard, I don't think Pulisic is necessarily a, a like-for-like replacement. And I no, just think no. it's refreshing that Chelsea have got a team where they're trying to build it, that all of those attacking players, the, the game can be played through them. Whereas, I think when Hazard played, it restricted us in that Chelsea had to play through Hazard, otherwise they were ineffective. Um, I think I think it's an interesting point that he's, he's not an Eden Hazard, but he does show abilities that were similar to what we saw from Eden Hazard at the beginning. Again, time will tell how he grows into the role. Um, and I think we talked about this on Sunday because um, you ended up joining me at, at the Leicester game. Yeah, that... no, I haven't got a spare ticket. I haven't got a ticket <laughs> for you at all. Oh, look, Gary's with you. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. Read read whatever you like into it, but you'll soon work Shall out. Shall I tell you how that came about, Andy? I know how it came about. Kerry brought in my breakfast for me and he said, actually, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, all right then. And <laughs> I went. It's just so weird having you back on the podcast with your strange <laughs> ideas, thoughts and fantasies. Make uh, sure it's two sugars next time, Kerry. <laughs> yeah, can, I, can I ask a quick question, Kerry? Yeah. Did he sing? Yes, he did, actually. He no. sort of... He, he actually did some. He, he was squeaking quite a bit. It was it's kind of kind of strange. It was like hearing some strange creature in the wild, and you're wondering what it was. But I actually heard Gary sort of sing. It was, I, I sang um, "Fuck Sarible." <laughs> okay, about like six months too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, I, I, did, I didn't sing, Andy. I didn't sing. I sang. I, when Lampard came out, I gave him 10 seconds of applause and then I was quiet for the rest of the game. Arms folded, frown on your face. What, while watching. Yeah. Can I just say as well, though, what I'm so surprised about is now I'm not in press boxes and I'm watching matches from the terraces. It's so surprising how many people pay their money to go watch, watch, watch a match and they actually are too busy talking with their back to the game, talking to the people behind them and not actually watching it. I was just looking around. I could see so many people that weren't watching. And then they'd turn around and go, oh, referee, because everyone else was doing it. And I was just like, watch the game. 
And I think one of the things that Kerry's pointed out before, and I totally agree with, is the amount of people spend their entire time on a betting app throughout the whole team. It's like looking at their phone and the various bets that they've spread throughout the Premier League. It's like, I don't understand. I mean, A, you can't get a very good signal during the, you know, during most of the game anyway, certainly not half time. And, uh, you know, why, why, aren't, why aren't you just watching the game? I mean, I don't want to tell anybody what to do at football. It's entirely up to them if they want to waste their money and waste their time um, and waste their ticket. That's up to them. But it does seem a bit ridiculous. But what I found crazy, though, is some people were criticising players. And I was thinking you're not watching the game. You're criticising him, but you're not watching it. It's almost like they get an impression of what is actually happening and then they just form their opinion off it. And that's why I stand there with a frown on my face watching because I'm concentrating, watching it. And I might not watch where the ball is. I might watch Mason Mount for five minutes and watch his movement off the ball and how he's doing stuff just to see, okay, I'm trying to get an understanding of how he's being used. Whereas a lot of these people are just there having a chin wag and, you know, all they needed was some scones and clotted cream and it would have been a nice afternoon out. But so this, going back to the Liverpool game, because I think we'll, we'll kind of keep jumping out now <laughs> otherwise, what did you think about the team that started? Particularly, what did you think of Giroud starting up front ahead of Abraham? Oh, I think it was, I think it was uh, you know, we're right at the beginning of the season. He's going to try a few things out. Uh, I think he thought that just maybe he needed more experience against Liverpool, that he needed someone who was a bit more savvy. Uh, I like Tammy. I like Tammy a lot. But he's very young. He's very fresh. And we'll talk about him when he came on against Leicester a bit later. But um, he, he needed someone to give a little bit of stability up front. And actually, Giroud did that. Uh, he scored a great goal. His hold-up play was great. He was, he was uh, playing... We saw that thing we haven't seen for quite some time. Are you typing? Stop typing, whatever you're doing. Who? One of you is typing. It's not me. I was. I apologise. I didn't realise you could hear it. Yeah. Oh, Gary. Sorry, I'll send an angry tweet. (laughs) (laughs) I think Giroud did that thing where he was, we have midfielders running past our striker for the first time in probably three years. Yeah, I like that. Effectively. And and that's why we needed Giroud. I also think Frank will use someone like Giroud as a teacher for Tammy. And he will say, stick with, with Giroud. When you're not playing, just watch what he does. Because Tammy's a big lad. He's able to do a lot of these things that Giroud is able to do. And if he can bring other players into play, like Giroud did against Liverpool, it, he will have a, a really interesting future for us. So, yeah, I, I, I was happy that Giroud started. But I think as well on, on, on Giroud, they did, it's actually interesting to watch Match of the Day 2 and Tim Cahill did a, a breakdown which was saying something similar to what Kerry was about how like he, like we saw at the World Cup, where he brings the players in around him to allow them to play beyond him. And I think that with Pulisic, and then in this instance it was Pedro on the on the other wing, and then you've got Mason Mount in there. Whoever plays up front for Chelsea, I don't think, obviously they want them to score goals, but I don't think they're looking for a 25-goal season striker. I know that sounds a bit stupid because you're thinking, well, you need a striker to score. But I think in this system where you're trying to get so many attacking players in that front four you're not so beholden to a striker like you were with Drogba or Costa to be the main outlet of goals. It's because the goals are coming from these inside forwards and the number 10. And that I think that's what Chelsea are trying to get with Giroud, bringing those others in to be the counterpoint. Like we saw how he played with Hazard at times, where he was the counterpoint to basically put Hazard into a better attacking goal-scoring position. And you saw on Sunday, 
against Leicester, he was doing the same, where he was allowing bringing players in so they could go beyond him. And yeah, I, I think that's he's the, the best player in the squad at doing that as well. Problem with him is he gets gassed very quickly, though, doesn't he? I mean, he was utterly exhausted by the start of the uh, second half, and he, you know, he, he, um, you know, he, he just doesn't have the fitness levels to really dominate for long periods of time in the game. I think if Chelsea's main striker, whether it's Tammy or Giroud, gets ten goals this season, I think that'll be a very, very healthy return for the style of football Chelsea play because the goals need to come from Pulisic, Mount, and Pedro. That's where the goals need to come from this year, not from that equivalent number nine. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. But you know, I do think they need to, you know, to to be in a position to score and be central to score when we're going through a transition phase that you know that could lead to a you know to a centre forward goal, you know. And I think that it, it's important that you know one of uh, Giroud's real strengths is his aerial dominance, as he proved against Liverpool. And you know, he has to, you know, he has to contribute when the chance comes along because they will come. Yeah, which and he did, he did that against Liverpool when he he, did. he got on the end of that Pulisic um, that through ball and it was a nice finish as well. He did. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that Giroud's got the ability to take some of these chances. I think it's really interesting what you just said there, Andy. That when those centre forward chances come along, that's when he's got to be a centre forward. So it is a matter of picking out when to be the centre forward who gets greedy. And when he's got to play that pivotal role, so I, th- I think I think his main role will be to to often start games. I think we'll see him start more games than Tammy, and then Tammy will come on after an hour or whatever. Um, and I think he's very much in a learning role. It does look as though Tammy's got a lot to learn. I like his enthusiasm. I like his excitement. But I, I remember, you know, against Leicester when he came on. And he had that chance where he got through to the edge of the box and he just fluffed his lines completely because he yeah. got so excited. Well, let's talk uh, either concentrating on the Liverpool game or Leicester game. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I thought you said we'd be ducking between the two because of I, the way I, it's working. Really but... you. It, 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 yeah, we can talk about uh, Tammy and the Leicester game if you want, because I think it's a really interesting you know, sort of, uh, uh, thing to, to talk about. It's, it's up to you. How do you want to move forward with it? Yeah, I'm quite happy to talk about Tammy in the Leicester game because I think he. You, okay, well, look, let's have a look back at the. Because if we're talking about Tammy, the whole subject of Tammy uh, has been a strange one this week. You know, the, as you were saying earlier, young kid, everyone goes, play Tammy. Young kid misses penalty. Oh my God, what a useless player. Um, you know, I felt for him. It, it, I think it meant more to Tammy missing that penalty than it possibly should have done in the context of the match. Um, but he was the one who looked nervous coming up out of all the players. Um, and I, I actually felt for him. Uh, I, I think you might be reading too much into that. Uh, I don't know. I think you look at him afterwards. He was he was pretty upset about well, it. Anybody that misses a penalty in a cup final, you know, is going to be upset. I don't I don't I don't think that you can read into it that it was a devastating blow for him or that he looked nervous coming up. I think anybody looked nervous coming up. I I, I think it's easy to overthink and read far too much in into this stuff. He came up. He took a penalty. It wasn't a very good one. He missed it. And and they lost the game and he's upset. We move on. I think that's the way it is. I mean, I think what was the the really disappointing thing, as we touched on before, was the reaction of some some idiotic Chelsea fans afterwards. Yeah, it was it was appalling. You know, I mean, 
for God's sake, he's only a young kid. He's got a lot to learn and he's got a lot to to work out. So really, we need to you know get behind him and not worry about it. And when you've got form on this penalty stuff, Kerry, I remember your bizarre theory about Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, I know. It's uh, well, I, I still maintain that that finished him with Mourinho when he missed against Bayern Munich. In the well, he went on loan the next day, didn't he? Yeah. And he refuses to accept that that was the end of his career for Chelsea because Mourinho hated the way he took the penalty. Well, yeah. his career hadn't even started, has it, to be fair to him? But I, I just look at the stuff with Tammy and um, it's such an overreaction. Players miss penalties. Lampard missed penalties for England in shootouts at World Cups. In 2012, in the Champions League final, Juan Mata missed our first penalty. Better players than Tammy, more experienced players than Tammy, have missed penalties. Uh, equally Anelka. big moments. Yeah, could, yeah, exactly. JT. <laughs> Come on, it happens. It happens to the best players in the world, miss penalties. And it's usually the best player who misses the penalty. It's usually the person who's had a great game often steps up and shanks it or whatever. Didn't anyway, look. This is penalty in 2012 Champions League final. I think he did, didn't he? Yeah. Say that again. Ronaldo missed his penalty for Man United in the 2012 Champions League final. Yeah, Blaise. 2008. Uh, sorry, 2008. Yeah, yeah, in 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 uh, Russia. In yeah. Anyway, well, just, just, just quickly on on the on the Tammy stuff about being too um, grumpy old man about it, or young man in my case. Um, <laughs> um, just the reaction that it was blown up, and it blown up rightly. All the BS that goes on after that match, and, and but what frustrates me is that Lampard has to answer a question at a, a press conference about what some idiot in his bedroom has said, and suddenly it puts. And that's why these idiots do it because the media take it seriously if it is the word verbatim of Chelsea fans. But then on Sunday we we're in the Matthew Harding lower, and even before he came on, the fans were singing his name and everything. And then right. I've seen the video from that kid who was in the shed end. Of when Tammy came on, he was filming it, and all the way the fans reacted to him. That is the story. That is Chelsea fans right there. All yeah. the stuff on Twitter. It, it could, for all we know, these, these people on Twitter could be rogue Man United fans creating up an account as a Chelsea fan and making out that it's Chelsea fans doing it. For all we know, it, it might not be Chelsea fans because it is just these keyboard warriors, exactly what Lampard called them. But the story to me was the fans reacting to Tammy the way they did, and to him as a as, as this young kid that's come through the academy. That must have made him feel 10 feet tall when he's coming on. The fans are singing his name the way they were. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a very good point you make there because the reaction to Tammy was clearly a reaction to the treatment that he'd had in the week on, on social media. And the fans inside Stamford Bridge did themselves absolutely proud with the way they supported him. Yeah, they did. And we've got to go to a quick break. And we're back. So, okay. The the other thing that we could talk about, tied up over the two games, is the return of Kante and his extraordinary ability to just keep on running. Uh, I remember reading after the Liverpool game where Frank said that uh, at half time in extra time that uh, Kante came up to him and said, "I can't run anymore, boss. I'm finished. I'm absolutely finished." And then he went out and did a 50 yard run within the first minute and a half at half time and he, he said that's when I knew I had someone really extraordinary in the team if he didn't already know it 
What's our views on Kante? Does it actually matter where he plays or how he plays? Because if he's managed correctly, he will do an amazing job for us wherever, won't he? Andy? Uh, He's clearly a machine and a freakish human being in the sense that, you know, coming back from injury, he could play 120 minutes at full pelt against Liverpool and then come on and, you know, play a full game against Leicester a few days later and not show any ill effects and not show any drop in performance or drop in energy. I think it's extraordinary the levels of fitness and and physical power that he has for for the size that he is and and for the for the physical attributes that he has I think it's extraordinary and I think he's an extraordinary player and to your question about whether you know whether he should play in a particular position I don't know what what what's a good position I think when he drives forward and 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 cuts down space on the edge of opponents boxes and wins the ball and starts transitions I think that's brilliant I think when he sits and protects the back four and marks space and cuts down attacking opportunities from the opposition that's also brilliant I think he's just brilliant Um, I'm not sure what his best position is I'm really not I just think he's a brilliant brilliant player Gary what about you you, you've got views on Kante haven't you for me I I love him in every like you Andy there's just something about him there's also this this thing where he gets the ball and his back is perhaps turned towards our goal. He gets the ball, he lifts his head up, looks, sees space, and then just legs it. And it's just like, he's, it's just an incredible thing to watch in football when he goes on the charge. He's such a little man, but he just runs past everybody so rapidly and usually finds another blue shirt at the end of it. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Gary? Well, I, I like him more in this system than I did in Sarri's because Sarri's was playing a 4-3-3, whereas this is a 4-1-4-1. So what I Lampard's explain, done... Explain, yeah, just, just explain the difference, the nuanced difference, because for a lot of people, they just see Kante is in front of Jorginho and to the right like he was with Sarri. Just explain how it's different within this system. Well, under Sarri, he was required to be much more of a creative player than he is under Lampard and playing the way that he is with Lampard he can play more centrally so what that allows him to do is he can operate to get back to support Jorginho in those in the anchor where Chelsea are defending but then he can also use his energy and that incredible stamina that he's got to get up further forward and support Mount when they're pressing on the um, opponents or when they're trying to attack so what Chelsea have got now is last season they were playing with three midfielders that was really one-dimensional boring where there's no goals coming from that area at all and then you had three attackers it was obviously obviously Hazard and Pedro with um, Morata through the middle at first or then Giroud um, or Hazard as a false nine but what you're seeing now is that there's four attackers even though um, Kante's in that position you've got just just to go back to Leicester you had Mount and Pulisic and then Pedro and then Giroud so there's an extra attacking man there and it allows Kante to almost have this free role where he can sort of react to the game around him and I think that's that's better for him I just my only concern is that when he's playing so far forward is that he's not going to score as many goals but to counter that the fact that you've got an extra attacking player an extra creative player in that area Chelsea should find more goals from those attacking four whereas Last season, it just wasn't quite there because it was three attackers and it was easier to contain than having four there. But I don't think 
correct me if I'm wrong, the goal that Mount scored against Leicester on Sunday, I don't think we scored a goal like that all season last year. I know there was the moment when Barkley got up and um, pressed against Southampton and intercepted and then passed it through to Hazard to score. But in order to have a player who's attacking and pressing so far up high on the opponent's box to be able to score like that, I just think that the system itself is probably better suited to these players. I'm not saying that we're going to play better and have better results than we did under Sarri last year because it's only three games in and we haven't won a match yet. But I just think why? that for Kante, it's probably suits him more. Why Why did we only play like that for 10 minutes, Gary? Because those first 10 minutes of shock and all football were incredible. Well, I thought After, 20 was really good. Well, let me, let me finish my point. I, I think that those first 10 minutes of, of shock and all football were incredible. And that forward press that, that, that we enacted against Leicester absolutely... Uh, shot them and we played brilliant brilliant football uh, for 10 minutes then we sort of eased off a little bit we were still playing well but then when we came out for the second half we just didn't play like that is that because we were gassed is it because we just had expended all our energy is it because Leicester had worked us out is it we were a shambles tactically I couldn't work it out not the first time you know if we look at pre-season and we look at some of the other games that we played that we played brilliantly in the first quarter of the game and then sat on the back foot for the rest of it and not created chances and not pressed and not really harried players on the edge of their own box. I think that, obviously, Wednesday didn't help, but I, I don't think that's the only reason. I think what you've got is a very astute manager in the opposite, you know, the opposing dugout that saw what Chelsea were doing and reacted to it and that allowed Leicester to come into it. Chelsea played into the hands a little bit in the fact that they should have really kept going after those first 20 minutes and tried to put another goal away so that they were forever out of reach. You see Man City do it. They start games so quick, they kill, they kill teams off nice and early. That, that's what Chelsea used to do in the, the first stage of Mourinho when you know by half an hour, games were done and Chelsea were just coasting matches. But I think it was a, a whole mixture of a lot of things. But I think top of the list, rather than Istanbul, I think it was that we were playing against a good Leicester side that is more of a team than what Chelsea are now because I think when did Rogers come in? Was it April? I think so. That that was like five six months ago that he's that he's come in there and he's had that first you know those last few matches of the last campaign to sort of work his team out. He's had the summer to plan it. He's had a pre-season with them and now he's seeing a much more solid team and a better team than they were last year. And I think that when you think you know Chelsea have had five six weeks of Lampard in, in pre-season and then they're coming into these matches. And they, you know, they've been travelling all over the world, so there's not a lot of time to get your system played. You know, I was chatting to my cousin after, and I just said that, because he was a bit worried about it, and I said, look, my view is that if Chelsea are dominating matches like they were against Leicester for the first 20 minutes, and then you know, blowing out for 70 minutes after, and they're doing that in November, December, I think that's the time to really get concerned, because the players should be understanding it. But I think that when you're playing against a good side like Leicester are, you're going to get periods in matches where you can't get back into it, and that's what happened. Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting point that it, City are the masters of that now, and we used to be. We just don't score enough goals. This was a problem last year. We are creating good chances, but yeah, if we're three nil up after seventeen minutes, game's done. They can coast through it. I, th- I think you're right. I think there's a lot of factors that that went into why we didn't carry on. I think it's fitness. And I also think what you're saying is right. Leicester are a very well-organised side. They cleared their heads. They suddenly realised that we were having a blow. We sat back, let them come on to us. 
and the game never really changed from the neck for the next seventy odd minutes. But um, the one thing I, I would say uh, on another player to talk about how he survived from the game from Man U, where everyone thought, "Oh, he looks all at sea." Uh, Kurt Zuma has come back very strongly this week and shown that he's got something about him. I mean, yeah, maybe he's he's not one hundred percent the player he was before his injuries, but. He showed a lot of character this week, didn't he, Andy? Yeah, he did. And I was critical of him last week. And I hold my hands up. I thought he was excellent against uh, Leicester. I thought he was really, really good. I still have uh, question marks over him. I think he it does have pace and he does have power. Mobility, I think, is a slight issue. Just being able to do that tight turning circle stuff, just because of the physical size that he is. Um, I, th- I would like to, to be a little bit more aerially dominant. But I think he was intelligent. I think he worked really well with Christensen. I think there were times that he was out of position, but I think that's more to do with having a lack of protection in front of him. I I was impressed, really impressed, because I came along with a feeling of dread after that Man United game where I thought he was very poor, and I thought he played extremely well. So I think you have to give credit where credit's due. And and also, moving on, because we've got to wrap up soonish, but... um, I was just going to say, Mason Mount, I mean, this is an incredible start. You know, Frank has really, you know, nailed his colours to the mast and he's gone, no matter what, this is my boy. The person you might feel a little sorry for is Ross Barkley, who had a great pre-season and can't even get on as a substitute and Kovacic is being picked over him. But uh, we can talk about Ross as well. But Mason Mount, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. He's, he's been at Chelsea since, what, he was six or something. Um is a Chelsea fan. Gary, how important is this to have a player like this coming through? And as you said, at the end of the Leicester game, we finished the game with three academy players on the pitch. Mm, I love it. I think that obviously the end goal has got to be success. It can't just be, you know, Chelsea fans and Chelsea academy graduates for the sake of having that within the club. But Mount isn't in there because of that. He's in there on merit. And that's what I like about it is that you're seeing this happen. It's, it's weird how the change has happened so suddenly where the fabric of the club seems to be back to what we know and love. You know, the, the, uh, the backroom staff are all Chelsea. Lampard, Morris, Joe Edwards, Eddie Newton, Petr Cech, um, you know, Paolo Ferreira in, in his ambassadorial role. It seems to be that... Cole coming back after his retirement this week. Yeah, and, and I, I just like seeing that. And then you, you see it being reflected on the pitch and suddenly you're getting something that, fit, you know, we, we were speaking about it last week, weren't we, Kerry, that it's suddenly feeling like Chelsea again, that for all the millions and billions that have been spent, we've sort of taken a step back and gone, hold up, we've forgotten who we are here and we want to remember who we are. And they brought Lampard back in and hopefully it's going to be a long-term appointment with something where it goes beyond the season or six months um, and it, it feels like, you know, when Hoddle first came in, where there was this, you know, a, a different generation, but it still felt Chelsea. And then Hullet came in, we had this this verve and this zip about us that carried on with Viali. And I think Ranieri's era sort of mm, wasn't the best. And then, you know, and then we obviously built something with JT and Lampard and Czech and Drogba. And then people that are longer in the tooth than me, fans, I, I know the stories, but I didn't experience it. But when you see what Tommy Doherty did that led into Dave Sexton, that led into... Um, Eddie McCready, it feels like that culture of what made Chelsea what it was is back at the club now. When you see the team finishing 
with Christensen, Abraham and Mount on the pitch. I just, I just love seeing that. I just love seeing Chelsea having players that aren't just in there because their face fits. They're in there because they're talented, but they're Chelsea at the, at the core as well. I love that. One thing I would say, I agree with absolutely 100% of that. I think that's 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 true. I, I love the fact that there is Chelsea throughout the core and the DNA of our club right now. It's brilliant. And the fact that those players that you mentioned are in there on merit. I would like the fans to look at all 11 players on an equal basis because I saw already in the ground people getting on Jorginho's back a little bit when things went awry. And the same things that Mason Mount was doing were being, oh, well, you know, he's a young lad and whatever. When Jorginho was doing it, he was useless. And I think that we can't pick and choose our favourites in the team. They have to be all of our favourites. Yeah. We, we have to support all 11 players on the pitch. We cannot just choose a few to be our whipping boys uh, and take our frustrations out on them. I don't want another season of standing there with people coating off Jorginho or coating off... I thought Kovacic. he had a good game as well. I thought he was really good. And I, think I, 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 I bemoaned the fact that Kovacic came on because I look at Kovacic and I just think, what is your purpose? But with Jorginho, I think, had he not played 120 minutes on Wednesday, he would have played the full game. And I think that's when we would have seen Barkley come on instead of Kovacic coming on. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought Jorginho, I think the way that Lampard's playing him, he's been brilliant in these three matches. I've I really enjoyed watching him play. There's a, there's a sense that some fans need a player to take their frustrations out on. And and unfortunately, maybe it's Jorginho this season. Maybe it's William this season. You know, William As P. As P, definitely as P. You know, people are, are down on him. Can we just support the players, all 11 of them, when they're wearing a blue shirt on the pitch? And if they have a bad game, they have a bad game. Obviously, we can talk about that and we're talking about it on our podcast. But when they're on the pitch, let's just get behind them. That's what's going to work. It's coating them off and giving them a hard time and shouting and swearing at them when they misplace a pass. But at the same time, not applying that to certain other players drives me mad. Let's just get behind the players. Support us. Blue's in the name. And just talking. Oh, here we go. That's the first time she's <laughs> used that this season, Andy. Kerry, we, we should have done bingo at the start. <laughs> Can I just say about Asby as well, actually, as we're talking about players like that? Um, it's a shame to see him getting this ridiculous abuse, but I didn't really hear it from anyone in the stadium. And as we were walking out, people were talking about it, but with a measured you know, response to it rather than just going crazy behind their computer screen. But but the one, the one thing I find concerning about him is that it's his body language. He doesn't seem to have the confidence within himself that you see that he gets the ball now and rather than getting his head up and looking at what his options are, he gets the ball, he gets near an op- opposing player and he shields it and passes backwards and he's playing with his back to goal. Obviously the opposition goal, but, you know, and that to me smacks of a player that isn't confident within his own ability. Now, whether he knows psychologically that he's not as quick as he was or whether he's just not confident because he's had a bit of a bad patch but he needs to sort it out pretty quick because he is the weak link at Ch- you know in that back in that back four at the moment and it's an inexperienced back four because you've got outside of Aspi you've got Emerson who hasn't played a ton of games for us and then you've got Zuma and Christensen it's a very new look back four and they need a leader in there which I think why Rudiger just can't come back quick enough and I think Aspi's the captain and he needs to be showing a bit more and he's not. And that's a little bit concerning. When Rudiger comes back, Zuma makes way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the right thing? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree yeah. as well. But where does that leave Aspi? Do we bring Reese in? Well, it'd be interesting no, to see, no, wouldn't it? No, I think the thing with Aspi, time will tell. We will know soon enough whether he needs time out of the side 
once there's somebody who can step into his place. Because, of course, Zappa Costa went uh, to Roma. Um, so there isn't anyone to uh, challenge uh, Aspie yet. And I think Reese is a month or so away from being fit. So, you know, I'm hoping it'll turn around and then Reese James can learn at the feet of Aspie and come in as and when, you know, and it becomes a, a, a nice kind of transition. Um, I, I just hope that he rediscovers his, his form. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we should finally wrap up with we've got uh, a difficult game in a, in a lot of ways. Some would say, oh, it should be three points. But, you know, newly promoted sides can have their moment in the sun. And we go to Norwich at Saturday lunchtime. Uh, what are your views on that, Andy? Difficult game. And what's your prediction? Well, it is a difficult game. And I've been to Norwich game, Norwich-Chelsea games a lot at Carrow Road. I'm going on Saturday. Um, and uh, it's not been a happy hunting ground for me when I've been to see Chelsea there. We've put in some really rank performances, a lot of draws, a lot of, you know, sort of poor poor efforts and and you know so i'm i think norris look good they've got a couple of really good players this guy pookie looks like he's a you know a dangerous threat at the moment um they're playing with verve they're playing with you know a certain amount of freedom i think they'll get at us um which may be a blessing in disguise it may allow us to you know to counter it may allow us to you know to, to burst forward we should we should be good enough we should beat a team that's been newly promoted whether we're in a fit state to do that um, at this particular time of frank lampard's tenure i, I don't know i hope so i'm going to say we're going to win i think it will be narrow i'm going to say 2-1 all right gary over to you what's your prediction it's not a must win, but we do have to win it because I think that it's important that Lampard just gets a win under his belt, even though it's only three matches and we all know the real story. But I just think that promotion teams with the talent in that Chelsea side, they, they should be winning that match. Um, and I, I do think, though, that like Andy said, that if they play the way they have against Liverpool and Newcastle, we should win that because Chelsea... Leicester was sitting deep against us and it's difficult to get in behind that. If they're playing with their fullbacks high up like they did against Newcastle and Liverpool, whether it's Pulisic and Pedro or Pedro and William or um, Pulisic and William, you know, they're going to get in behind and they're going to create a lot of opportunities. And just on that note, I'd like to see Marcus Alonso tried as one of those um, attacking players on the left flank, maybe where you've got William and Pedro on the right and uh, Alonso and Pulisic on the left there as, you know, as, as the four in the squad. Anyway, we should win and I'm going to go for a 3-1. Interesting. That's, that's an interesting thought about Alonso playing up at the top because um, Emerson seems to have cemented his place in that side, doesn't he? Well, he's a better defender than Alonso and I think where Alonso's strength is is when you see his, his assists and his goals that he scored when Conte played him as, a, as the left wing-back, that is his strength. He, he's not a strong defender, whereas Emerson is. But going forward, Alonso offers a lot more. I'm not saying he's the answer, but I just think that he's someone who's got goals in him. And I think that if he was to, to be given an opportunity, not as a starter, but as someone to come off the bench or start a cup game or something like that, I just think that he's a good alternative in those positions because you've seen the numbers that he gives already in terms of his goals and assists. Yeah. OK, well, my prediction is... I'm going to go for 2-0 Chelsea. And, um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a tough game. But I do think, uh, just to go back to what you said, Gary, it's not a must get, what was it you said? It's not a must-win game, but we do have to win it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to think about that because that's quite an interesting statement. But, yeah, I, th I think that's it for this week. 
Andy, thank you as always. Gary, lovely to have you back on again. And um, yeah, we will see you all next week. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.